If you have your Bibles this morning, we are continuing on uh, Acts chapter 2, and then we'll go into the uh, book of Joel, uh, Joel chapter 1. And this is continuing on from uh, last week. We'll be in this little book for uh, the weeks ahead. And uh, we just pray the Lord would help. And just by way of context, <coughs> looking just very briefly at last week, we've seen uh, a, a, an army of locusts that would come the, the, the visual picture that is painted by the prophet Joel concerning the last days and Revelation chapter 9 tells us what those locusts are as the bottom of this pit is open and there's a demonic outpouring uh, of activity on the land in the last days the prophet begins with asking the people, have you seen this? Have you heard of this? Has this happened in your day? And we resounded with a resounding, yes, we have witnessed this. We are seeing the demonic outpouring that is happening in our day. And the, the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost uh, references, of course, and quotes the prophet Joel, the great prophecy in Acts chapter 2. He's referring to uh, the prophet Joel taking that prophecy of Joel <clears throat> and bringing it into the dispensation of grace and then declaring uh, onto the people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this prophecy is relevant to us today. It is a prophecy that should be a living reality there should be in our congregation this is that which the prophet Joel speak of the baptism in the Holy Ghost this is that there should be a this is that a reality of the fulfillment of this prophecy and so we'll read from Acts chapter 2 verse 14 but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. These are not drunken, as suppose, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and all my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now we go back into Joel chapter 1, and not in particular to the prophecy uh, mentioned there, but just the context of this prophecy that Peter refers to, Joel uh, chapter 1. And as we looked at last week, as it opens with the word of the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. And in verse 2 he says, Hear this, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Then he says, Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children <coughs> another generation. So we see that the prophecy was not just for Joel's generation. He was looking ahead, and it was beyond him even as an individual or the people of that time. There was 
a relevance to this prophecy in the generations to come. People were encouraged to study the prophecy and to be able to discern, has this happened or is this happening in our day? And so we went through uh, those first uh, 10 verses or so last week, and I want to just skip down and begin to read from verse 10. And this this morning, I, I just want to speak on the withered church, the withered church. This is that and then the withered church. In verse 10 it says, The field is wasted, and the land mourneth. For the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, and the oil languisheth. Be ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of this field is perished. The vine is dried up. And the fig tree languishes, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, howl, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, and joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are led desolate. The barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of the sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry. For the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burnt all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. We know that often in Scripture we'll be presented with a natural catastrophe in order for God to bring to us a spiritual truth or revelation. When these natural things literally take place, what you'll also find is that they're an indication of the judgment or the judgments of God, not the final judgment, but God is chastising the land. This week, you will have noticed probably in the headlines in the news, one headline on the BBC webpage was Rain in Biblical Proportions. You'll have noticed bushfires, unprecedented bushfires in Australia. You'll have seen apocalyptic events, natural things that are happening. These are completely connected to the spiritual. Completely connected. I know the world are going crazy about climate change but this is not climate change. These are the judgments of God. These are, these are the judgments coming upon the nations. What is happening physically and that which is the natural things 
are an indicator of what has taken place spiritually. So when the prophet begins to prophesy concerning what is happening to the fields and the beasts and the trees and the corn and the harvest, we might read that and say, that's nothing to do with me. I want to tell you that it's everything to do with us. And so it's discerning what the prophet is saying. Now at the beginning of this message, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's very difficult. It's difficult for us all. Really, really difficult. I want you to come, as it were, uh, with a blank piece of paper. I want you to come afresh, not with anything of a pre preconceived idea or an influence of our tradition. Now, this is important, but it's really hard. But I believe if we desire to do that, that the Lord would help us. We all come from different backgrounds this morning. Something unique about this We Fellowship is nearly every denomination that there is in Northern Ireland, nearly all are represented here this morning. That's a very unique thing, to be honest. It, it really is a very unique thing that we can meet together in this fashion as Christ has our head around the table of the Lord. And it's a precious thing. But it's the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And so every one of us come from a certain background traditionally and has had a profound influence on our lives of how we perceive things should be. So if you're from a Presbyterian background, you'll have a certain amount of influence over you because of how Presbyterian... I'm not saying that it's all bad. I'm just saying that tradition will have an influence over us. You might be from a Methodist background. You might be from a free Presbyterian background. You might be from a Baptist background. Uh, you might be from a Pentecostal background. You might be from a Brethren background. You might be from a Catholic background. And everyone has a certain amount of influence concerning the tradition and how they understand that church should be. Now I want this morning to ask you if it's possible, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult because probably more than what you think, your denominational background has quite a strong influence over how you perceive things should be. And I would ask you this morning that you would come just afresh, I'm not going to put anything hocus pocus, abracadabra, or a new idea about what the church should be. I'm going to just read the word of God. I'm just going to read God's word so you've nothing to fear this morning because we're not, Tim hasn't got a new idea or a new way. Or there's not going to be a big change next week about I'm going to come in with an earring and a Jesus tattoo. Do you understand? But this is the foolishness of what's happening in the church and it and actually it's a hindrance to the moving reality and the power of the holy ghost it's actually in some ways an advantage if you're sitting here and saying i don't have any background that's an encouraging thing because you can just start afresh because we all can create even us as New Testament Pentecostal Church, 15 years in this June, we can create, I can create our own form. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. While many want to argue over the form, it's not so much the form, it's the life. 
that's important. And so for years, I've heard arguments about the form. You'll not get me into those arguments. You'll not get me into them. I believe the way the Lord has led us to set up this church and its structure and its leadership is what the Lord led me to do. But you'll never get me into debating that. Because it's not so much the form, it's the life that's important. And so men will argue for decades over the form. I'm not going there. Because what's important is the life. So if it's possible, just come afresh this morning to what the book says about God's house. What God says about it. You'll know, and often it's been mentioned, that the church of Jesus Christ is often presented to us in Scripture as a body. That's one of the primary uh, revelations that come is that this is a body. When you get that revelation that it's a body that I am a part of, then that changes everything of your perception of what it means to meet together. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritual. And so the Bible says this body in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 from 23, Christ is the head of that body. And he's head over all things to the church. And in verse 23, it says something very important. Remember, blank page. This is his body, and it's the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That simply means this, just in in everyday language, just to help us to understand that the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, that when there's the gathering of God's people as the body of Christ, this place is to be full of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to be full of the life of Jesus Christ. He would fill it with himself, nothing else but the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ to be in our midst. That means the whole place is filled and that means that every life is full to capacity with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, it talks about a building, but it's not a physical thing. In Ephesians 2.21 it says, In whom all the building, now you're part of a body, but it is fitly framed together. So there has to be a coming together. And in that it grows onto a holy temple onto the Lord. Now again, this isn't physical. This isn't bricks and mortar. Men have fallen into the trap of tradition where we'll build grand buildings with great spires that are going to reach up into the heavens to try and give a sense of awe that this is God. But the building is not God. Do you understand? But there is a gathering which becomes a holy temple. That's what the Bible says. The gathering of God's people is a holy temple unto the Lord. And then it says that we're building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So not only is the whole place filled with the fullness of Christ as we meet, but then this place becomes a holy temple. And as it is a holy temple, it's a holy thing, 
The body of Christ is a holy thing and we must discern the body. If we don't discern the body, the Bible tells us this is why some are sick and this is why some sleep. It's really important. I know it's not preached often in those verses, but we must discern the body of Christ so it becomes a habitation of God. In other words, this place becomes a place where God lives. Amen. God lives. God's alive. The living Christ is right here among us. Are we still on the blank page? Are we following this just carefully through God's word? This place then, the gathering of God's people, whatever the denomination matters not, but they come as a holy temple unto the Lord, and Jesus takes the prophecy of Isaiah 56, mentions it a couple of times in the Gospels, and Isaiah 56 and verse 7 said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations of the world. This is the house of God. This is the temple of the Lord, the gathering of God, the people. Remember, it's the people. It's not the building. It's not the building. It's not the all the fancy furniture and all the great spectacles that we see today. It's the people become a holy temple unto the Lord and a habitation of Almighty God. And Jesus will fill his body with the fullness of himself. Amen. Are you still with me this morning? It's starting, it cuts against our tradition. It cuts against our form and it cuts against what we think it should be. And it's very difficult for a Pentecostal, I'm a Pentecostal brought up as a Pentecostal, but it's very difficult even for a Pentecostal to think outside of the Pentecostal box. And it's very different in case you feel left out for a free Presbyterian, a Presbyterian, a free Methodist, an independent Methodist, an evangelical Presbyterian, a Reformed Presbyterian. There's a lot of Presbyterians and a Baptist and, an, and all the rest of it to think outside of what has God purposed this to be. And it's very difficult for us. Come on, is it not difficult? But if we really desire, you know, you might say, well, sure, the most, that's the way most people do it. Well, for a thousand years, most people were held bound in a religious system called the Roman Catholic Church. And a monk called Luther got the revelation, this is by faith and not works. And a reformation burst across the world that we're living in the good of today. <clears throat> but the majority were in darkness. I'm not saying I'm Luther or anything else. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, I want the full living reality of what Christ wants this to be. And so it's a habitation of God. The life of God is in this place. And I believe that a lot of the times, in a general sense, that God is hindered from moving because of our preconceived religious traditions. God's held back from doing what he wants to do. Because we don't really want to let go of what way we think it should be. We're unique because sometimes God moves and someone from a particular tradition, it wasn't like that when I was growing up and sometimes he does this and some say, well, it wasn't like that when I was growing up and everyone has a perceived, a perception of what way it should be. And I'm not promoting anything of that which is not done decently in order. But listen, brothers and sisters, 
God has a great ability and it's called restoration. And when God restores the church to what it's supposed to be, in your computer, you'll have a full restore or to a previous time you can restore. There's a restore point for the church and it's called Acts chapter 2. That's it. Now, where is your tradition and mine in Acts chapter 2? Is it there? No. A lot of our tradition is washed out if we read that one chapter. And so this place would be called a house of prayer. And Isaiah, it tells us also in 56, just a couple of verses later, that this place would be a place where he would gather the outcasts. Is there any outcasts being gathered in? There's like three of us. You're all outcasts. We were far from God, but we'll be brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're born again, you're no longer an outcast, Richard. You're a son of the living God. He brings in the outcasts to the house of God and he changes their lives by the life of God and the power of God. And the life flows. This is God's purpose for his house. And the gathering of people, just like his earthly ministry, I want you to stay with me because it's hard for us to transfer ourselves into what it should be. But just like his earthly ministry, when the outcasts, they were gathered to Jesus, a physical body, a spiritual gathering of people would come. In Matthew chapter 15, you've read it often, verse 29, but it says, And Jesus departed thence, came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee, went up into a mountain, sat down. Great multitudes, outcasts, came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says that he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb were speaking, the maimed were to be made whole, the lame began to walk, the blind were seeing, and they began to glorify, what a chorus of praise, to glorify the God of Israel. That's his physical. Now we've already read that he would fill his body with the fullness of himself. So is this a different Jesus? Is this a different life? Is this a different power? Is this a different reality? But our tradition teaches us something different. It reduces our expectation levels right down to that which man can do. Not only is it a gathering where he lives and he is a, becomes a habitation of God, but the Ephesians 3 and 10 tells us that this reveals the manifold wisdom of Almighty God. This is what the gathering of a church is. It's a revelation of the manifold wisdom of God in Ballinahinch Main Street. It's awesome. It's actually an amazing thing when we're walking up the alleyway, coming out of our cars, walking up Main Street, coming through those doors, coming through those double doors. This is a manifestation of the manifold wisdom of Almighty God. Not only is it a physical thing in gathering, 
But the Bible tells us it's to principalities and powers in heavenly places that they would know this is what God in eternity has purposed and planned. You're not here by mistake. You're not here by accident. You've been purposed by God to be here this morning to manifest the wisdom of God, the principalities and powers. Spray them all if you want. Think about it. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's hard, isn't it? How do we get out of the ruts that we get ourselves into as a church in general? We get into the ruts of that, of religion and tradition. Not all's bad, not all's wrong. Some great traditional things have been handed to us. But brothers and sisters, there's an awful lot of the function of that is nothing more than filthy rags and dead works. <clears throat> I know I'm preaching against the flow. I know I'm preaching against even the things in my own life. But I'll preach it. This is the church of the living God. This is the church of the living God. This is the pillar and the ground of truth. This is it. You are the ground and the pillar of truth in a world that's broken and going to hell as fast as it can. You are the church of the living God, a temple of the Lord, a habitation of Almighty God, that His life would fill us all to the fullness and overflowing. Lord, help us to get it. Help us to get it. Help me to get it. The Bible tells us that we are the salt of the earth. And if the salt will lose its savor, then wherewith shall it be salted? There's something different about the gathering of the people of God. There's many gatherings this morning, but there's something different about the church of the living God. We're the light of the world. We're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. There's a light. A spiritual light that shines out of this upper room and bound the hints this morning. This is the church. Amen. Does it sound like your tradition? Does it sound like the things that you've kept in your life? Does it sound like the ideas and the preconceived uh, perceptions that you have in your heart and in your mind? Of what way it should be this morning? <coughs> it changes things when we see God's purpose for what he wants it to be. If it's God's will and God's purpose, then I believe this morning we're in a great place. And we're saying, Lord, let it happen and let it happen in me. According to thy word, O God, be it unto us. Not about a book of a find in the faith mission or God on Amazon or some smart aleck on YouTube. Brothers and sisters, according to the word of the Lord, let it be unto us. One of the key Things concerning the church would be not something wonderful would issue from it. It's what comes out of it's important. You understand what I'm saying? It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Jesus said in John 7, many people know these verses, John 7, 38, he said, He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, what did he say? Out of his belly, shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. What issues out of the, the gathering of God's people individually and corporately? What Jesus said comes out. This is what Jesus said, not me. 
rivers of living water. Is that what issues out of our churches and putting us in amongst the rest of the churches? We are not standing over here saying, look at us. Is this what issues out of our churches? Rivers of living water? Rivers of living water! The Holy Ghost would issue out from us life and the power and the resurrection, a joy unspeakable, a power that breaks the chains. Is that the life? But this speak he of the Spirit, that they which believe in him. Are you a believer in Jesus? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Come on, brothers, now you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, it's going to cost you something very soon in this land even to say that. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. For they which believe in him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to tell you, he's glorified this morning. He's at the right hand of the Father. And I want to tell you something else. He sent us the Comforter, and the Comforter has come. So we're a holy temple. Ezekiel had this prophecy and this revelation of waters, Ezekiel 47 that issued out from under the threshold of the house. We are a spiritual house. We are a holy temple. So out of this spiritual house and this holy temple, Ezekiel said there were waters that came from it. It came from under the door. And it came out in verse 9 of Ezekiel 47. It says that everything that liveth which moveth whatsoever the river shall come shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come thither. We want to be fishers of men. And we want the life and the power and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to issue out of our lives. To touch a world that's broken. We bring life, not death. This is the gospel. But what issues out of us? Really, what comes out of us? The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth is going to speak. Really what you are isn't so much what you're doing here this morning, how you act here this morning, but really what's in you comes out of you. And if you're full of the Holy Ghost and full of the life of God and full of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, what comes out of you is Jesus. That's what comes out of us. Is that what comes out of us? Is that what issues from us? Is this the life and the river and the power that comes from the church corporate? I, I, I say this collectively of the, as the body of Christ in ball and a hinge. I don't think, not that I don't think, I know, I know that what is issued out of the body of Christ in ball and a hinge is not life and resurrection. And God, I, I don't say I'm standing here when I say this one is God have mercy on your body. Have mercy on your body, whatever the denomination. Have mercy, Lord. Raise up. I pray for the Baptist. I pray for the Methodist. I pray for the Presbyterian. I pray for the brethren. I pray for God's people, wherever they are. God, may out of us come life. Because the world has seen the slurry pit of bitterness and religion and death. That's what they've seen and that's what they've experienced. And so they come and sit among us looking for God and can't find him. What an indictment 
upon the body of Christ. There are words in this reading in Joel chapter 1 that I just want to pull out, but they give the overall picture. There's words like languishes and broken and perplexed and desolate and devoured. I want to tell you spiritually, that is exactly where we are. But this was speaking of God's people. The demonic forces that have come and the locusts that have been let loose out of the bottomless pit and the powers of darkness that are tormenting men and women and young people all around us. But now we're coming to a stage where the Lord says, but see my people, see my people. He begins to bring a picture. You know, he begins to display to us really what it's like underneath it all. There's a brokenness, there's a perplexity, they're desolate, they're devoured, they're languishing. But there's one word that is mentioned six times. It is translated as dried up or withered. And it's the Hebrew word that simply means that we are dried, that we are withered up. And it's mentioned six times in those six verses. When the church outwardly becomes to function in its own power. It becomes a place of activity, but not a place of what he purposed it to be, which is life and a habitation of God and the supernatural power of Jesus in the midst. I know we're moving on to a different field altogether because I could keep it very narrow and keep it in a place that we're all comfortable but you see, there's something different when the supernatural power of a living Christ begins to move. It's not man or his ministry, but it's the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we see that the resurrection power and God's purpose to flow through that body is quenched or prevented from moving because the vessel, that's the church, has become so preconceived with ideas, a mindset, a mindset that it has to work this way. It has to be put in this box. It has to be according to what it was for me 300 years ago. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a day, a post-Christian nation. We need to get that and know that we are living in a post Christian nation we are living in a post-Christian nation and the demonic forces of hell are plummeting this land and a religious ticket isn't going to do it it's not going to do it and we say amen that because we're together and so it becomes a place of perhaps activity and the resurrection power of God isn't flowing like he purposed it to flow according to what I've read this morning. And because of this, it tells us in the reading that joy and gladness has gone from the house of the Lord. Joy and gladness has gone from the house. Real Holy Ghost joy. Real gladness. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall come with singing. Sorrow and mourning is going to flee away, but gladness <coughs> and joy will fill the house of God. Why? Because the power of God's moving. Amen. That's why. 
The abiding in Christ is the secret for this life. The power and the ability essential for the church to be purposed to what God has called it to be is found in Christ's teaching in John 15, abiding in the vine. That's where all our life is. If you turn there, John 15 verse 5, Jesus said these words. John 15 and 5, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do. Oh boy, it leaves us bankrupt, doesn't it? Come on. These are the words of Jesus. He just lays it out. It's a simple word. It's a profound word, but he doesn't mix his words. See, without him, we can't do this. Actually, we can do nothing. And for the pretense to pretend that we can do it, we're fooling ourselves, and what we'll produce is a religion that's dead and withered and does nothing for this world. If a man abide not in me, Jesus said he is cast forth as a branch. And what is he? He's withered. He becomes dried up. I, I, I would put to you this morning that really in the north of Ireland that largely the church has become like this branch. It is withered. I know we've got names. I know we've got so much activity. I know that it's easier for me just to say this morning, there's so much going on. Isn't it great? Lord, just bless where you can bless us and just help us where you can help us. And we're going to try and do our best that Jesus comes and we'll hold the fort and everything. And I'm not belittling, please, anything that's going on in the name of the Lord. But let me tell you something. It's so easy for me then to settle down to the form and the tradition of something and just seal this boat on in that Jesus comes and then stand before the judgment seat of Christ that Jesus said, I had so much more. And so we become withered. And men would gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. In other words, we have no power against man and the wickedness of this day and the laws that they're bringing in and the powers of darkness and the schemes of men. We have no real power against. They're going to do it. Because there's a judgment not only in the land, but there's a judgment in the house of God. There's a judgment in the house of God because we have much religion we have much words. We have much so-called revelation. We have so much Bible study. We have so much intellectualism. We have so much of all of what we have today and all the CDs and missions and messages and all. I mean, the CDs in my table are just stacking up and stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. I'll never get listening to them. And they're not wrong. But brothers and sisters, we have all of that. We have all of that. And there's a world around us that are going as fast as the hell as fast as they can. Jesus said, verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. This is what he said. You'll ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here is my Father glorified, 
And really we're here to glorify the Father this morning. That you bear much fruit. So shall ye be. This is really what you'll be. This is how you'll know a disciple. This really is what religion is. And we have a very religious corner of the world. It is dried up. And it is withered. It has a form of godliness. Men take great pride in it. Religious people will take great pride in it. They'll be offended by the words that I've spoken this morning. How dare you speak of our denomination in such a manner? Listen, I'm saying this because it's been said. How dare you think in any way that you could come into our time we have been here 350 years. Who do you think you are? This is our denomination. And this is our religion. And we have been here. Who do you think you are? And nobody. We are now living in a day. If we don't get this. Where the spiritual landscape has changed so dramatically. So unbelievable that we don't even know how great it is. Because I couldn't express it. But I know it in my spirit that the, the, the ground has changed so great. Listen, everyone and so many around us are being tormented by the demonic powers of hell. And are hopeless. And feel in complete despair. Remember in Revelation 9 last week. They want to die but they can't. How many have said I'd rather be dead than live this? How many have said this is hell? How, how, what a deception. This isn't hell. But they feel this is hell. And it's so much like hell that they would rather die. Not knowing that hell's still to come. And they are looking for an answer. Let me tell you something. They are looking for an answer. They are searching for truth. They want an answer. And so many in the church have had the answer. They've heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. They hear the preaching. They know the word. They've gone through everything. And they know it all. And they've taken it all for granted. And still they're miserable. And so many come today to the church <coughs> looking for an answer and they don't find God. What they find, now don't be thinking of someone else, I just want you to examine yourself. Don't be thinking about him, her, or this one or that one. You might think of me, that's okay. But I'm going to think about me, not you. So many have come and all they find is a withered religion that does nothing for them. So many believe today that Christianity is simply, I'll make a decision, go to church, say a prayer and go home. And they never come into contact with the rivers of living water. That's Jesus. They never touch the power of a risen Christ that changes lives that delivers lives, that fills lives with the love of God and breaks the power of sin and sets the captive free. That's why we fill the church with methods to do it and they fail. 
They leave them as empty and miserable at the end as it was at the beginning and cost them a lot of money on the way through. We get so smart. You think, but no, no, this doesn't happen. Listen, this has happened for the last 2,000 years in the church. How do you think a Roman Catholic system was birthed? Because men got smart. They thought they were smarter than God and they wanted to have some sense of respectability and some type of religion. That's why I'm not really interested. They can say whatever they want. I'm not really interested in the, turning on the Christmas lights and standing with every one of those. I really want to be here. I don't. All that respectability. Oh, our minister and this and look at that and all the cloaks and all the guys. Lord, set us free from religion. But men feel good about it. Do I believe there should be honor? Yes. Do I believe we should respect? Yes. Do I believe there's an order in things? Yes. Do I believe in spiritual leadership? Yes. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something this morning. We're just men saved by the grace of God, given a gift by the Spirit of God, and by the grace of God to live this life to the glory of Jesus. And one day we're accountable for the souls of men. What we are filled with will issue out. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it. That's what Jesus said. Now Jesus brought this in his ministry. This is what he faced. He faced a religious system that would ultimately put him on a cross. You see, the religious and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I tell you what, and the scribes and the intellectuals and the and the political system, we're we're part of it. We're seeing a, a, an, an empire, not so much like the Roman, uh, not so much called an empire in what we think, but we're seeing today, just like the Roman Empire, there was a political, intellectual, and a religious system, and it was morally in the sewer pit. Homosexuality was abounding. So this isn't new, what we're facing. It's happened before. But that church turned it on its head. And so we face the reality, and Jesus faced this in his ministry. There he's sitting on the hillside, and multitudes are coming. I, I just love, I love imagining this in my mind. I love thinking about this. Seeing, oh, seeing the broken, seeing, seeing the prostitutes, seeing the drug addict. Come on, we can get you to Jesus. Picking them off the streets, the lepers. Come on, we're going to bring you. We know a man can heal you. Taking the possessed, those that are bound with devils and demons and all manners of things. Come on, we've got to get you somewhere. We're going to get you to Jesus. We're going to get you the man. He's going to set you free and bursting through the doors and saying, Jesus is here and the life of God's here and he will touch you and he will deliver you and he will restore you and he will set you free. And multitudes came and then they were all singing and dancing and rejoicing at what Jesus had done. Oh, religion's tough, isn't it? Tough to break it. Oh, I know. It's headwind all the way. Jesus found this, but Jesus, knowing all things, knowing his time, 
That whole religious system was dead. That whole thing was dead. Where Jesus and where God Almighty said, I, the Lord thy God, I be mighty in the midst of thee. You build that place and I will dwell there. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll protect you. I'll keep you. I'll bless you. I'll be everything that you need. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. I'll protect you from all the nations that are around about. And that religious system, they plunged it into something that was centered upon man and what he can do. They had 1,500 laws. They're broken and the man found no place in the temple of God in Jerusalem. But they had a whole religious system going. And Jesus... The God that they said they served. They put him on a cross. And they'll do it again. So he comes on a journey. I've often read this. And sort of split it up into three sections. Or, But the whole thing's together. To get the context. In Mark chapter 11. It's a new day and Jesus was coming from Bethany. Bethany was a very unique place in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a place he was welcome. Did you hear that? It was a place he was welcome. Mary was there. Martha was there. Lazarus, whom he loved, was there. It was a place just outside of Jerusalem that Jesus liked to go. Why? Because he was welcome. But he leaves Bethany and he's hungry, verse 13, and he sees a fig tree afar off having leaves. And he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Now this reading is absolutely everything to do with what we're about to read. And I believe that when you're going towards Jerusalem from Bethany, and the mountains on the side, those fig trees would grow up on the side of the road. They were there for a public consumption because they were, they were there openly. And there was one particular tree. Now, let me tell you, Jesus knew what was on that tree. He knew there was nothing on it before he ever went to it. But it wasn't for him. It was for them. It was for them. As those disciples are following him and he walks over to this tree, they come with him. And the tree is attractive because it has a full, a, a, a full of leaves. It's attractive. It seems as though there has to be fruit on the tree because it looked as though it should have it. It looked that way. And Jesus brings his disciples with them. They're probably not thinking too much about it. But Jesus brings them over and it's about five days before the Passover and Passover was the time they'd start to harvest from then on in, I believe, their summers earlier than ours. And so it was coming to the time that there should have been fruit by the fact that there was already leaves in the tree because the fruit comes first, then the leaves. Religion, the leaves come and there's never any fruit. It's just leaves. It looks good, sounds good. It, it, listen, and I, I know, okay, pet subject, what people were. If we're reduced to whether it's a suit or whether it's jeans and a t-shirt and we think that that makes us holy. Let me tell you, when Jesus does a work on the inside, it will be evident on the outside. And do I believe in modesty and do I believe that 
men should dress right and honour the house of God? Yes, I do. I really do. But whether you're wearing a tie or not, I'm not going to fall out with you over that. But listen, it's the thin edge of the wedge because we'll always want to keep pushing it. If though that makes us more spiritual, don't be deceived. It doesn't. It doesn't. So Jesus is looking at this tree. The disciples are standing with him. And they're looking and Jesus says there's no fruit in this tree. The Bible tells us that Jesus said unto the tree. I mean, can you imagine standing there? Jesus begins to speak to the tree. You speak to yourself. Anybody speak to themselves? All the time. All the time. It's okay. I speak all the time. Nikki walks in, I'm standing in the mirror. We talk to ourselves. But Jesus is standing talking to a tree. The disciples are looking at him and he says, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter and forever. The disciples heard it, and then he carried on in his journey. And where's he going? He's heading straight down into that temple, that place that represented him. That's what that place was. It represented Jesus Christ. Now Jesus walks into that <coughs> temple, and there they are, all the activity. And they're selling, and they're buying, and all the animals are in there, and the cattle, and every it's a cattle market. It's a ban and a selling thing. It's a place of leisure. It's a place of everything. But it wasn't the house of God. They had brought the house of God and his name down into the gutter. And Jesus walks in. Here's Jesus Christ, the lowly Savior, gentle, meek and mild, and he is. And Jesus walks into that place and he begins to turn their tables. He begins to whip them. He begins to throw them out. He begins to cry out on them to get out of his house. Can you imagine? Disciples are standing looking, saying, Lord, has he, has he gone mad? Because that religious system has so misrepresented everything of what he is. They had misrepresented him. And he turns the tables over and he beats them out. And the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious people are standing there. And they're seeking how they're going to destroy him for they feared him. You see, men really get shook up. When God really begins to move, especially religious men, they get afraid. And out of that fear, they begin to attack. They begin to attack you. Listen, it's happened and it will happen. Don't think every revival comes, everybody's going to sing, bind us together, Lord, we all love the family of God. They'll want to kill you. And so as he's throwing these tables over, the scribes and the chief priests and all that tried to destroy him, they feared because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was come, he went out of the city. Verse 20, look at it. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter then remembered and called the remembrance and said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, listen, you have faith in God. He was about to bring them into a completely different realm. 
you have faith in God. For, for fairly I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe it, you receive them, and ye shall have them. When you stand praying, forgive if you've ought against any that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you. Think about it. Coming to a close in two minutes. Think about it. That tree was everything to do with what that religion was. A misrepresentation of who God is. <laughs> And knew it had leaves and was very attractive. But when he searched and looked into that life, he found that there was no fruit. And he goes into that temple, his house, and he turned those tables and he purged <coughs> the house. And after he purged it, we read another time that the lame and the broken came into the house of God and he healed them. And the children, what was the house filled up? With praise unto God. This is what my house should be. You have misrepresented what this is. Your tradition has brought you down to a place where it's lifeless. There is no life. It doesn't change what issues out of you. Is. It's just law and death. But have come that you may have life. I put to you this morning this very simply. That today, and I know not all would agree, but I believe this, that today many have dried up and their experience has withered because it's not one off, it's continual. And now we operate on the basis of what we have learned in our tradition. And it's very easy to do that. I learned this years ago, so I can do this today. Whereas it should be, we need the life of God this morning to burst through into this meeting that touches all and fill us with the power of the Holy Ghost. We can all operate to a certain degree. Because we understand how things should be. And it's not about having a radical change of everything. What's about this morning is these hearts and these lives coming to God honestly and saying, God, we desire the fullness of the Spirit and the power of God and the life or settle for being religious. I've met loads. I met loads in Pentecostal circles, by the way. We can so easily learn the lingo and talk the talk and say the right thing. But really, it's the fullness of Christ that we need for this hour. We need the life of God. Jesus went into the synagogue one day and closed him with this. He goes into the synagogue and the religious people are all, they're always there. I don't believe there's any religious people here this morning in the sense of Pharisees and Sadducees. I just don't because I know our heart is to see God move. <coughs> but he comes into the house of the Lord and he walks in and they're all watching. What's he going to do? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Is actually something going to happen here this morning? He's going to do this on our Sabbath? Not knowing that he's the Lord of the Sabbath? And so they're all watching him. They're careful. What's he going to do next? No way people are in churches. They're watching. They're judging. They're waiting to see 
They're always watching to see what, and trying to make a judgment. Oh, man. Listen. Jesus sees a man sitting in the congregation. And he has a, he's a man with a withered hand. One hand's completely dried up. Jesus says to the man, they're all watching him, wonder what he's doing. And Jesus says to the man, stand up. And the man, what did he do? I don't stand up. My tradition doesn't allow me to stand up. We've never done that before. 450 years I've been going to the Presbyterian and no one's ever stood up in the middle. No one prays like that. I know it's a wee bit, but it's actually true. Do you know it's so sad? I know it's funny, but it's actually so true. How we think. Jesus says to the man, stand up. But you see that man? I thought about this man. See that man? He did not think what those Pharisees were thinking. He did not think what the Sadducees were thinking. He did not think or care what one other person in that place was thinking because he was humble enough in his heart and he simply got out of his seat and said, I'm here. Jesus says to him, as they're all looking, you put forth your hand. Lift your hand. Oh, we don't do that in our tradition. We have never done, I have never seen that done in our tradition. I mean, if our minister seen us doing that there, we'd be out. It'd be the end of us. Imagine lifting your hands in church. I mean, that's not church. They're shouting all in there. I've actually heard them cry. I mean, what's all that? And they go on for two hours. He's long. Paul preached at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're all watching. But see that man? That man was humble enough and courageous enough to say, all I need is not this mob, but I do need this Jesus. Yeah. As he's standing there, and all his religious tradition falls off him, and his eyes are on Jesus. Jesus says, you stretch forth your hand. And I believe this is my belief. I believe it was his right hand. The Bible doesn't say that, but I believe it. Do you want to know why? I believe the right hand is significant. Where's Jesus seated? The right hand of the Father on high. It's the place of power, majesty, glory. It's the place of Jesus. Everything of what he is of life. I believe that man had a left hand that could operate and do. And so much today we do because we have a left hand that's working. We can do it. We can still get on. Come on ahead. We can do it, folks. Everybody now, all together, we can still do it. But the supernatural living part of Jesus is when a man stretched forth with his hand and says, Lord, I'm believing you. As he stretched forth his hand, it was restored supernaturally. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe that if you truly, truly, truly in your heart, you're not really interested anymore in what everybody thinks, because I can tell you I'm not. I'm really not. We talk often, we're not that old, but we realize we're both about to hit 50 in a few years, and I go, what happened? If you're already 50, sorry, I don't mean it's really old. I just mean, do you know what I mean, Paul? I'm just going, I'm just going, Lord, what's happened? Because time's flying. And I don't want to miss this. And I don't say that in a, oh, if something doesn't happen, you're going to. 
I just mean, God, I want to see everything of what you want to do in the fullness of that poured through, not only my life and Nikki's life, but I honestly say, we want to see it for every life in this room. And the man said, as he put out his hand, supernatural power of Almighty God, never mind the Pharisees or the religious brigade, the power of God touched that life. And that withered hand was restored. That's the power of God. That's the power of God. You see, you can't make that up. And you can't make that happen. You can't manufacture that. You can't manufacture. But I want to tell you, he's a living Jesus. And he's a living God. We're humble enough in our hearts to say this morning, Lord, I need restored. Lord, I want everything that you have purchased for me on Calvary to come by the power of your Holy Ghost. Lord, I'm humble enough to stand on my feet and say, Lord, I want to lift my hand and say, God, touch my life. Joel says, sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Doesn't fit the church today. Gather the elders all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the, of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. That's what we're to do. We can't manufacture this. God forbid we ever try that. We can't make this happen. God forbid. We can't pull something even of a meeting years ago to try and duplicate that today. <laughs> That's what a lot of people are trying to do. Remember the meetings in the 50s? Well, there was meetings like that in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, and even in the 90s, and in the early noughties, is that what it was called? Great meetings that we all encountered. But I don't want to try and manufacture 2002. I want what God has for us today. The living reality. Jesus, God, help us. God, help us. The Father, this morning we pray as we come to a close, humbly in your presence. Lord, every word that has been from me that is not from you, I pray instantly that it would be completely and utterly swallowed up in the ground. I pray in the name of Jesus that everything that's been of you and everything of your speaking voice and the womb of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that has reached into the hearts of your people today, Lord, as you draw us in these moments, in these important moments, in the waiting and the desiring and the dealings of your Spirit, Lord, we don't come with a preconceived idea of what this should be. Forgive us for trying to be God. Forgive us for trying to make it something of our tradition. But Holy Spirit, this morning, as you are dealing with the hearts of your people, whom you love and whom you have washed and whom you have called and whom you have redeemed,
Whatever stage we are at in our walk, some weak, some crushed, some broken, some stronger, some perhaps, Lord, have gone ahead on their own strength and their own steam. Some empty, some dry, some withered. Lord, this morning, you are here and you are life. And it is by your spirit that you said that you would fill all in all. Lord, in this house, as we are bowed in your presence in these few moments, if there's one or ones, just like that man with a withered hand, withered possibly in spirit and experience, withered and become religious on the outward, but empty and dry on the inner man. If there's one this morning who simply would be humble enough to say, Lord, I need you to touch me. If that's you this morning, I'd ask you to stand right where you are. Lord, the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. 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 Just for those that have stood, we sell our hearts this morning. I just ask you. Just where you're standing, would you just lift your hands to Jesus? Just like that man, he just stretched forth his hands to the Lord. Just you stretch forth your hands. You just begin to tell him that you need him this morning. Just tell him that you need him this morning. Tell him that you need him. Just to come where the times of refreshing, acknowledging by the humility of standing and lifting your hands, you've acknowledged you're humble enough to acknowledge your need of him this morning. And that in itself is an indication of a repentant heart to say, Lord, I need you. It's a genuine heart. It's a sincere heart to say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, thank God for the mercy and the love of Jesus. My Father, this morning I pray, Lord, for these precious souls. Lord, and I pray, I give you thanks this morning, Lord, that they've responded, Lord, not to the words of Tim McElrath, but they've responded to the voice of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would woo them afresh. Lord, begin to work in their hearts, Lord. Lord, begin to revive their spirit, Lord. Begin to restore, Lord. Lord, your great salvation, Lord, I pray that you would pour in the oil and the wine, O oh God. Lord, I pray that you pour in of your spirit into their hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, you said out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Lord, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that what would flow from them, Lord, is those rivers of living waters. Lord, that you would flood their souls with your joy, with your gladness, with your peace, Lord, with your love, Lord, with your hope, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would baptize them, each one afresh, with your power, Lord. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we cry unto you for life this morning. Lord, life, Lord, let life flow, Lord, in this sanctuary, Lord, let life flow out. 
Lord, from this place, from this church, oh God, let it be life, Lord. Oh, Father, this morning, forgive us, Lord, for our own religious ways, Lord. Lord, our own, Lord, cheap talk, Lord, our own tradition, oh God. Lord, would you move and would you purge out, Lord, and would you flood our souls with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, oh God. Oh, Father, would you touch every life this morning. Lord, would you touch us afresh this morning, pour in that oil and the wine, the kind that restores, restores our soul. Oh, in the name of Jesus, let everyone stand together this morning.